This is the Reputation Podcast with John Hammond. Hello and welcome to the Reputation Podcast. In this series of podcasts, I talk to successful business leaders about their journey, who has influenced them, and their tips for reputational success. Don't forget to subscribe and enjoy the episode. My guest today is Fiona Lambert. She studied fashion at Trent University, then started her career firstly as a designer and pattern cutter, then buyer at a newly-fledged business called Next. She then joined Next's founder, George Davies, to start the George at Asda range. Fiona returned to Next as Women's Wear Product Director for seven years and then became George Brand Director resetting the look and feel of the brand and subsequently creating the George Home brand. With this experience, she next went to Dunelm as their product director and then managing director of a new business development for River Island Global Holdings, launching a new women's wear brand called Harpen. A year later, things have all changed. Fiona, welcome. It's an absolute pleasure, John. Let's go back to the beginning. When did you decide that retail was the career for you? Well, I think firstly, I decided fashion was the career for me. So I, uh, I've probably been quoted in the past as saying my mother was a seamstress. So I was brought up as she was making clothes for people, pinning the hems up for her while she was modelling the clothes. My grandmother was a seamstress and my great grandfather was a master tailor. So I think there must be some passion and love for uh, fashion uh, that runs through the blood in the family. So I I early on decided I wanted a career in fashion and was very fixed in my uh, method of getting there. I did a degree in fashion and it was due to that that I started my um, career with Next as a designer and pattern cutter and just happened to be in the right company in the right time with the right people um, and had the, you know, the blessing to work with George Davis, who's, who's an incredible uh, entrepreneur and mentor uh, figure for me. So um, I got into, I think, a, a career that was an absolute passion for me. Uh, you know, as I said, I love design, I love the history of fashion design and uh, worked out that I could create things that sold. So I suppose that's what generated my love of retail. What was it like in the early days of Next? It was very, uh, it was very small, and uh, George was certainly very, very hands-on. So uh, every meeting we had was with him. He wanted to see every garment that went into the range. Uh, I often, you know, because it was a small team, and I, I remember I was the uh, dress and blouse buyer. I'd run off and um, you know try things on. So I'd be standing there, not only trying to uh, get the product signed off, but modelling it as well. Which was, uh, I suppose, you've got to be passionate about it to do that, haven't you? Really. Uh, and it was just incredibly exciting. I, I was there at the start of the very, very first Next Directory, and I've still got the first one. Uh, and I think it was about, uh, you know, George's um, direction was certainly always looking forward, trying to be groundbreaking. And, the, you know, that first Next Directory was so different to anything anybody had seen. It's had fabric swatches in, which I don't think anybody's been able to afford to do since. But, you know, I've kept it as a sort of... Uh, uh, icon of what I you know what I was involved with then so uh, it was just a really fun exciting place to be hard work of course George was basically an entrepreneur through and through wasn't he is that a difficult sort of character to work with I loved it 
probably because I've got a bit of that entrepreneurial spirit and he demanded probably 120%, but it, what it meant was you always achieved more than you ever thought possible. Uh, he also used to say there's no such word as can't, which is tricky sometimes, but again, you, I'm pretty resourceful. I like to find solutions. So, uh, you know, nine times, actually nine and a half times out of 10, there's no such word as can't. You can find a way to make it happen. And he, what was exciting was he absolutely put the customer uh, and the opportunity at the forefront and was brave and uh, a real innovator and the numbers people had to find the way to do it rather than the other way around. Do you think that's changed over the years? Because it, it, people like George only come on once in a blue moon and people like you only come along once in a blue moon. And I think there was a period in retail where the numbers people seemed to take over. I think it's interesting when you look at companies and I've obviously had to reflect a bit on my career and what you know what I'm going to do next as well um, and I think smaller companies are what you tend to find are, are run by the innovative entrepreneurial founder owners and they you know they, they make it upon their um, vision of, of, of their product as it gets bigger it starts to turn into more of a machine and you, you know you're managing the city and the shares you're managing huge distribution networks uh, huge retail teams and there's a certain skill set that's probably not necessarily always at the heart of people who are the incredible innovative entrepreneurs uh i think what you're going to find is the right people around you to work with uh, but i think once a company gets bigger they sometimes are in the danger of turning to uh, the accountants to run the business and that's often when they stop being brave and courageous uh, I think fashion is quite an interesting business to be in because I think a lot of businesses go in a three-year cycle so if they've had a terrible year they put lots of new energy in and new ideas and then the next year they might build on that and then the third year they get complacent and it drops off again I think the art is to behave like it's the first year every year that's very interesting. The interesting thing as well was you, you move from uh, an innovative company as next to then join Asda and launch George at Asda with George Davis. Now, that's going to the big, big boys world, but it was also a supermarket. What did the fashion world think of you when you chose to go to a supermarket? Well, it was fascinating to look back because I think something like 35% of the volume now is sold in supermarkets in fashion. So if you can imagine back then, there was nothing. So it was a, a very left field idea to take high street fashion and put it into a, a supermarket environment. And, you know, brilliant that George uh, uh, thought of it. Uh, but it was, if you think about it uh, now, I mean, it's sort of second nature, you know, so, you know, everybody, um, as you know, Sainsbury's, Asda, George, Morrison, all have a clothing range in there. And it's very convenient to pop and have a look. And if you think um, of the people who are shopping and buying, if you, you know, it makes, a, makes the shopping experience a little bit more interesting. Uh, you don't have to go out on a separate journey. Uh, but it was a quite seismic change, really, that I was, you know, I was part of the start of with um, joining George in doing it because it did radically change how people shopped. It changed the sort of average price point of clothing as well, because it was, hadn't got the overheads of running a, a high street business. It, it was built into the overheads of the supermarket. So by the nature of it, the products could be cheaper. 
What about the, the design of products? To, to make that work had to go to a certain market, didn't it? How do you mean, sorry, John? Well, the, the, the supermarket shopper was not going out necessarily to shop for clothes, but there had to be something attractive and exciting, something they'd feel good in. Was mm. that a challenge to create that sort of range? Uh, no, actually, I, I've always um, celebrated design and I, I, I with, with my team, actually took a lot of pride in saying just because you don't necessarily have that much money to spend, why should you not be given great design? So the, the standards of manufacture, the standards of you know, washing and wearing were really, really high. And uh, there are, you know, you weren't going to do silk dresses, but, uh, you know, the, the quality was great. And I think at the time we went and, you know, moved from Next and to, to doing George, we used a lot of the same factories at the time. So you were, you know, you weren't creating a, a, a factory can't do differing quality for different customers. So you were, you know, you were going to great, great factories in order to make the product. Mm. Retail is going through this huge transformation at the moment, isn't it? We're seeing lots of businesses go to the wall because things aren't working well for them. Is, is there a magic source? Is there a magic secret to getting fashion retailing right? Well, the art is, and is to realise what the customer wants before they want it, which sounds like a bit of a dark art. So I think it is another seismic change that's happening at the moment. And, you know, I've been through the rise of supermarket and value fashion. I've been through the rise of online clothing. This is another seismic shift, you know, on the same sort of scale that if you think about why people buy clothes, they buy them to go on holiday, they buy them to go out, they buy them to go to work. Uh, all of those things have changed substantially now and probably won't go back to as they were. People are avoiding shopping in big, busy high streets and have found new ways of shopping that probably won't go back to how it was. So I think what will happen is people will look to where there is still reasons to buy. So children will always grow. Children's wear will survive. Uh, athleisure wear will survive. And um, it's probably, uh, if it's not too embarrassing to say, there's been a huge rise in lingerie sales because people have been stuck at home with very little else to do. So <laughs> things like that have changed the market. Love it. What about the sort of um, range of uh, fashion? Do you think that's going to shrink and become very much middle ground? The extremes, some of the, some of the very trendy modern young shops, if I can say that, um, seem to be struggling a bit at the moment. Where, where do you think it's going to go in terms of the type of fashion? Well, the online retailers have, have survived this. So I think uh, one of the things that 80% of sales now are from people's mobile phones. So, you know, people have carried on shopping. Um, I think young people have found different things to wear. So as I mentioned, you know, we've seen a huge growth in um, athleisure wear and, uh, you know, because people are wearing much more relaxed clothing, but they're still quite enjoying the buzz of buying. I think anything that is mediocre, probably anything that's really formal, uh, will need something very special to make people buy it now. So I, I think you know, people will be much more considered about what they are spending their money on. Uh, you know, they, there is just, as I said, there just isn't the reasons to buy. So if people want experiences or you know, investing in getting, being able to go to great restaurants, uh, I think that we might see more of a trend 
that was already happening because the thing is i think this is that the whole scenario around coronavirus has accelerated lots of trends that were already happening you know people looking for more sustainability people looking for more experiences people looking for purpose behind brands uh, i think all of those things are going to be happen faster and um, be more exaggerated than, than they would have been probably four years four, four years worth of evolution has happened in six months and do you think the experiential shopping because people always said a lot of people have said down the years oh I, I, I don't shop for clothes online because I want to feel it I want to touch it I want to I want to sort of get get what it's really like and what it'll do for me do you think there's going to be the technology to be able to bring that to the home shopping world there's a lot of things happened. I mean, a lot of smaller boutiques actually probably were struggling with online um, presence, have done a lot of work now because, you know, it ha it, they have to. It's, you know, it's the it's lifeblood of what they've got to do. I think whether shopping in stores has to be a different experience and a lot more about personal service or trying to create really getting over a brand's purpose and personality through an online website. Uh, I think people are going to have to work very hard. You know, it's, there's no such thing as a free lunch, I think, now in the fashion industry. It's, you're going to have to work very hard to make it work. What about the next generation? I know you, you've won lots of awards for mentoring innovation and inspiring others. How important is it to you as a leader to, to help the next generation come into this world? That's a really good question. I think, again, even before this happened, like, you know, I was involved with... Um, Graduate Fashion Week was I recognised there's so many students coming out of universities with uh, qualifications in in fashion, and yet the actual straight fashion jobs, uh, you know, designing or buying, uh, relatively few compared to the number of students coming out. Uh, and of course, that's just going to get even harder. So I think people are going to need broader skills. Um, so whether it is uh, you know understanding online technologies. Um, understanding psychologies of you know why people buy things uh, I think you know building on those personal experiences uh, you know I think the uh, being able to really converse with people and have a conversation with customers and understanding them so I think it's um, it is an interesting time I think for, for, for those uh, graduates coming out uh, I've often said before that I think you don't know when you're doing your degree in fashion or your qualification in fashion what's out there uh, and I do think the sometimes the universities and colleges have been a little bit blinkered and I've always tried to showcase the number of jobs that are actually in the supply base you know because somebody you know so many design teams are based in the supply base uh, you know to, to really help students know what what's available um, other than uh, you know being a fabulous designer stuck in a garret somewhere. So who's influenced you? Obviously, we talked about George Davis earlier. Who else has influenced your career so far? Well, I can't go without saying my parents, because actually they were definitely uh, always really encouraging and brought me up very much about have a go at stuff and give me options rather than tell me what to do. So I think that sort of paid me, you know, stood me in good stead as, throughout my career. Um, I've worked with some great CEOs who've all probably shaped me a little bit. So I worked with Andy Bond at Asda, um, and actually he was um, very, uh, very direct. Actually, that sounds awful, but it direct in a really good way. In that he he always said, you know, keep plans quite simple because everybody remembers them and can follow them. 
Um, so, you know, having three brilliant um, pieces of strategy that people can follow and be really clear about. Uh, I worked with Anthony Thompson at George, who was a great um, MD, who through him I learned actually it's about bringing a fantastic team of people together. You know, he definitely, you know, created a fantastic five, I think it was at the time, uh, of people around the table who all had very different skill sets. Uh, I learned a lot from Simon Wolfson at Next about how to really understand data and you know use that to inform um, your decisions. Um, but I think one of the strongest things that happened to me was I I benefited from some life coaching that actually said uh, made me realise actually uh, the best thing I could be was me though because I think until uh, I really recognised that I got some you know really unique strengths that were very different to any of those leaders and to dial those up rather than trying to emulate anybody else's style of leadership. Um, that for me was quite transformational. And you've been through some challenges, some recent challenges as well with Harpen, um, well, starting up in a blaze of glory and then a year later, it all seemed to go pear-shaped. Um, you must have had a lot of resolvance, inner strength to cope with that. Yes. Um, I don't know if it's a sign of age or experience, though. Uh, I think I'm very, I mean, it was, it was an amazing opportunity. And I'm really proud that, uh, you know, in nine months, there was, I think I started on day one just myself with a piece of paper. And nine months later, you know, having recruited a team, created a range, found a supply base, uh, generated a website, uh, you know, it was literally a, a proper startup and, you know, with a tiny, very hardworking, very talented team. Um, you know, I'm really proud of what we did. And I also learnt a lot, um, you know, which will stand me in good stead. So it is just, a, you know, a victim of circumstance, really, that it was something that was, you know, uh, fledgling and was finding its way. And, you know, no new fashion business is going to suddenly deliver lots of high profits after um, just launching. Uh, it had only been launched for six months. So, you know, unfortunately, with um, coronavirus happening, it was just an investment that at that stage wasn't starting to get the return. So it became a casualty. But I'm not, I'm, I'm quite good at not spending too much time worrying about things I can't change. So, um, you know, clearly I was upset for a couple of days. Um, I then dusted myself down and thought, you know, I'm just going to have to celebrate all of the amazing things I've learned from it and take those forward because I can't change the situation. So I think that's, you know, hopefully why I'm somebody that um, stays positive because I don't waste a lot of energy on things I can't change. You did something unusual as well, is that you did some social media about how it felt for you and for other people in a similar situation, of which there are sadly many at the moment. Yes, I was quite stunned actually by the response I had to that. Um, I, you know, I've obviously spoken to a lot of people since about it. I think it's maybe rare. Um, I don't know if it's humble or honest. Um, and, and maybe because I, I think people worry that there's a stigma if you've lost your job. And actually, you know, it was it was circumstance. It was nothing personal. It wasn't a reflection on my abilities or any of my team's abilities. It was circumstance. So I thought genuinely if uh i am open about it um and i can say that and there's no stigma attached and i'm a bit shocked by it but i'm going to dust myself down and i'm available and in the meantime i'm going to 
try and use that time if I can to help or mentor people. Um, and actually, I have subsequently done quite a lot of that because I had quite a lot of, quite a lot of people um, connect with me and just ask for a little bit of help. Uh, but I wanted to be able to use my time wisely. So I had lots of really lovely feedback, actually, from that post of people going uh, just how much it made them feel better because they're probably all worth, you know, people in that circumstance probably do feel a bit rotten about themselves. And actually, it's OK to feel like that but it's not your fault. So uh, yeah, you, you, you can just dust yourself down and it's okay. Do you think there's a male-female difference? Bit of a difficult question, I suppose, in this. There are not many male leaders who would come out and do what you did. As you say, probably difficult for me to say because uh, I just did what felt right for me. Um, I've always been very honest and very open. Um, I think I was told once that uh, by a, um, one of my one of my bosses that I always I was the only person that told him the thing he needed to hear not what he wanted to hear and so I, I, I think it's just me actually that I don't always do the easy thing I do the right thing. So what next for you then what's what what would you like the career to hold or what's happening with you? So in all honesty John I'm pausing for a second because number one uh, who knows what's going to happen to the retail world. So uh, I think I'm in no rush. Uh, I think previously when I've been in similar positions, I've been like a sort of dog chasing a rabbit really in the, you know, trying to work out, you know, what the next thing was. Um, I think I'm much more pragmatic. I think I'm certainly not um, formed by my career I think maybe as much as I was I think I'm much more comfortable in my own skin so I don't feel like I've got to go chasing after the next role necessarily uh, I think I've written down things that I think are my non-negotiables because I think I'm going to be very choiceful about what I do next so um, number one actually I want to have some fun because I think life's too short and I'm, I'm very lucky I've done a job that I've loved doing but uh, you know, I want to make sure I enjoy going to work every single day. Uh, who, who I work with is very important. So, um, you know, I want to work with people who've got similar values. Um, I like entrepreneurial people. So, you know, look, looking for that um, sort of fast-paced, challenging, challenging the status quo, uh, innovative um, businesses. I, want to, I certainly want to do that. Uh, I've probably worked out... Um, you know, in my time as well off that the amount of things and people I need are far less than I probably would have ever thought of. So, uh, you know, I think uh, being more choiceful about my time because, I've, you know, I've reinvigorated some, some hobbies that I used to do. Uh, I've started painting again. Um, I've relearned tap dancing um, and um, I've learned some new things. So I'm learning life coaching as well. So actually having a little bit of time for myself has has been great and again I want to try and get that little balance again that you know I'm not in a role that's um, so busy that I can't invest carry on investing a little bit of time in myself so um, but I'm looking at different things because as I said it's I think you've got to be ahead of the curve and look at where uh, trends are going you know retail trends as well as clothing trends uh, to, to work out what next because I said I want to be I want to be excited I want to be entrepreneurial well, this is the Reputation podcast, so I've got to ask you about reputation. Uh, you have a reputation in, in, in the fashion world, really high. Everybody knows you. It showed by the number of people who commented when you put your social media out. 
How did you build your reputation? What matters to you? Yeah, so I've never, I don't think I've ever consciously um, uh, thought about, oh, you know, this is the reputation I'm going to build. I only know the things that are my sort of tenets of behaviour, uh, which I guess have built my reputation. So um, I think first and foremost, I, I, you know, I do think I have integrity. Um, if I say I'm going to do something, I do it. Uh, I believe in not uh, over-promising and under-delivering. Uh, I um, really care about people. So, and I treat people the same, whatever level they are, um, you know, as I want to be treated myself. Um, and I think, um, I've always said, actually, when I'm coaching people, you know, what do you want to say? What do you want people to say about you in five years time? What's your legacy? And, you know, mine are people and product and passion. I don't care if I'm the person that's getting all excited, waving their hands in the corner about the greatest late idea because, you know, I'm, I'm not cool enough, actually. Um, and the one thing actually I was reflecting, somebody once said to me, um, and they just, they were introducing me to somebody and they said, this is Fiona. She's the kindest person in retail. And I remember thinking at the time, well, oh, that sounds a bit wishy-washy. But actually now I think, do you know, I'll take that because I think kindness is uh, severely underrated. Fiona Lambert, thank you very much indeed. Thank you, John. Thank you for listening to this week's Reputation podcast. I really appreciate your support. If you have any questions or suggestions, you can find me on Twitter at John Hammond Tweet or at john-hammond.com. That's J-O-N-H-A-M-M-O-N-D.com. I hope you'll take a second to subscribe and then join me next time. (laughs) 